Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. And with me are my two co-hosts, as always. I am Anya Crittenden, a writer at Gay Star News. And I am Pai Chen Bui, a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in D.C. So, it's time to talk about one of our favorite time-traveling aliens, Doctor Who. Doctor Whomst? Doctor Whomst. And then, in whatever case, the Doctor will see you now in this podcast by three former Doctor Who fans, maybe soon to be Doctor Who fans again. So, yeah, it's all uh, it's all wibbly wobbly. Well, yeah, it's wibbly wobbly. We'll get into it. Yeah, yeah. we'll get into it. So, uh, all three of us were big Doctor Who fans uh, back when the show first started, first rebooted back in like 2005 to 2011 ish. We were big fans in college, um, and we're going to talk about how we became fans of this long running BBC sci fi series uh, since 1963 and seen several regeneration since then a few revivals a few new faces but at our at its heart it's a, just a great show about a doctor and his box and all his space and time so uh let's first get into how we all became fans of doctor who although i think we first have an ad for this episode oh yes don't we yes we do and now a word from our sponsors the Millennial Falcon is brought to you by Time. It goes on your chicken with rosemary and parsley. All right, now that we've gotten that ad, uh, let's get into how we all became fans of Doctor Who. Anya, why don't you start us off? How did you become a fan of Doctor Who? Sure. Um, so I first started watching Doctor Who in high school, um, and I got into it via Live Journal. Um, I was a big big LJ person, like, had a paid account, spent countless hours on LiveJournal. I still have friends that I met there. And a lot of my friends were getting into Doctor Who. And so it was kind of like all of them watching that made me start to watch. And so I just picked up from the reboot with uh, Nine and started watching. And before I knew it, I was falling in love. Like, I got deep into this fandom um, I never watched a lot of the older Doctor Who, but I, like, watched some episodes here and there of, like, the 60s and, like, did some research so I could know who, like, like, when K-9 shows up, I, like, went back and read about who he was and stuff. Um, I've been to a Doctor Who convention. I've cosplayed as Rose. I watched Torchwood, which was a spinoff about Captain Jack Harkness. Love that man. Um, and so, like, I was, Doctor Who was one of my biggest fandoms in, like, my high school, college years. Um, it was one of the big ones. And I just still remember it so fondly. Um, and I miss it. And, like I, like we mentioned, we'll get into all that, like, when we stopped watching and why. But, yeah, I got into it through fans, and I just fell in love with the adventure and the heart. And it was about found families. Literally, it's about found families traveling through space and time. Like, there's nothing better. So, that's me. Willoughby, what about you? How did you become a fan of Doctor Who? Well, uh, partially because of you, HT, because you were watching it in, in college, and you were talking about how much you liked it, and then you were reblogging a bunch of it on Tumblr, and I saw a bunch of other people that I follow on Tumblr reblogging it, and like posting gift sets and stuff and clips, and I'm like, I should really see what check out what this show is. So I binge-watched during between freshman and sophomore year of college 
the everything that was available on Netflix, uh, which was at that point, I think, uh, all, all the seasons except for the most recent one, which was going to air that fall in sophomore year of college. So I was like all caught up to date for that. And I just really liked it. I thought it was a pretty good, pretty good show. I, I like understood what was happening on my Tumblr newsfeed like a lot more. I guess it's called a dashboard. Um, <laughs> it and is. It's the it, dashboard. There's Dashcon. And oh god, and ah, like a good, good memory. Like a good, like a, like a good bandwagoner. I like did my Wikipedia research of like all the like the past. Like how do we get from point A to point B and to point Z? Because there's been a million seasons and shows of this sh- of this show, and so I was like, I really liked it. And then uh, I. Caught up. I I kept up with it until the first, no, second season with Peter Capaldi. So like season nine, I think. And then I have not watched the most recent couple seasons. Um, and yeah, yeah, no, it was a real big, real big part of what I watched in college and what I was excited for and all that jazz. Yeah. Well, HT. So you got Willoughby into it. Mm-hmm. So how did you get into it? So I remember in the long stretch of summer after I graduated high school, I was frequently looking for shows to watch. I had finished watching all of Buffy and I was feeling a big hole in my heart. And it turns out after I I finished Veronica Mars, of course, um, it turns out that uh, Doctor Who was a really good sort of thematic, almost sequel for Buffy to me, especially the early seasons uh, with showrunner... Russell T. Davies. Russell T. Davies. Yes, RTD, as we fondly called him. Uh, yes. Who uh, actually, in interviews, explicitly said that he was very inspired by Buffy the Vampire Slayer in honing his 2005 reboot of Doctor Who. So when we talk about the seasons that are available on Netflix, uh, most rec- uh, that we were when we were watching it, it's the 2005 reboot on. So Doctor Who is one of the longest, is the longest running British sci-fi show in history. It's been running since 1963 on and off. Um, it had a stretch about like in the 80s and 90s where it was not on air, but it was on air frequently from the 60s to the 80s, essentially. And then it became a reboot in 2005 with uh, Christopher Eccleston as the new ninth Doctor. And we should say reboot slash also continuation because yeah. a lot of the ways fans think about Doctor Who is like by like which doctor is the doctor because the doctor can regenerate and so like the reboot didn't like start at the very beginning with like the first time the doctor like ever exists like they started with nine mm-hmm. and the last one they left off with in the like, 80s was eight so it's like it was like a reboot sequel yeah because the it's fun- just sort of like it's like how the force awakens does it mm-hmm where it's a it's it revives the franchise and reboots it but it's still the same story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, cuz the fun conceit of Doctor Who is that uh, he's a time-traveling alien, a time lord to be exact, who can change his face when he, when he dies. He regenerates. And this was sort of a, um, a not a gimmick, but a, a, something they pulled with the first doctor played by uh, William Harkness. No, not William Harkness. William Hurt? No, not William Hurt. He's that would be amazing. William Hurt was in the fiftieth anniversary. William Hartnell did. William Hartnell. Sorry, Hartnell. Yes. Yes. Um, 
and he was an old actor uh, who, when he first started playing the doctor, and the sort of his health was failing a little bit, uh, and they replaced him with Patrick. Uh, oh my gosh, I can't remember. I used to remember all the names of the doctors, and now I don't remember Good anymore. Good old Patrick. Yeah, Patrick was his name. <laughs> well, um, I mean, they were all white men, yeah. so that makes sense. It's true. They have been. Yeah, well, let's talk that for a second. The doctor could change his face into anybody and anything, and yet he's always been a British white man. Yeah, until, up until now. Up until, up until now, which yeah. we'll get to. So they frequently but. did these actor changes. Uh, first, the second doctor was Patrick Troughton, and they've had um, until for the old series about eight doctors, and that's why with the reboot quill we have the ninth doctor played by Christopher Eccleston. And um, yeah, I got so I got into um, Doctor Who when I was searching for a new show to watch, and I found a nice um, hole, a nice show to fill the hole that Buffy left. Uh, and I started watching it after I graduated from high school and into college. And it became sort of tied into my college experience because that's when I became a big uber fan of Doctor Who. I was, you know, yep. like, like Willoughby said, I was t- always tumbling about it. I like... I dressed up as the 11th Doctor for Halloween once. Uh, I, I tried to make a TARDIS dress, but I didn't. that didn't work out. <laughs> but I was a big fan, and it was something that really touched the core of me because it was a sci-fi show, but it was a show that was driven by, like, heart. It was about just, like, basically a lot of the times, love can save the day. And despite being a show that has, like, this really long-reaching mythology almost, it's a show that you can jump into any time because it tells very universal stories about an alien and his human companions who uh, stumble upon people in need and try their best to save the day. And that was, I think, the heart of Doctor Who and what really drew me to it. Um, until later on when the show became increasingly convoluted and I ended up dropping it about two, one season into Peter Capaldi's run, which was about the th- uh, ninth season of the new reboot. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question for you guys. I have an answer for you. Actually, I have a couple. I have, I have a couple, but we're going to do the first one. I'll lead into it. Who is your favorite doctor? Because this is like one of the questions among Whovians. Is like who is your doctor? All right. Well, not to pay, not to be uh, disrespectful to like the older doctors, because I know everyone will talk about the fourth doctor as being their favorite, especially like older generations of people watching. But because I got into it later on, especially at the peak of the eleventh doctor's reign. 11th Doctor is my favorite. And it's more than just because he was the one that was like the prevailing Doctor when I first started watching. Uh, he is a really interesting sort of Peter Pan figure. And I really like that sort of childlike amusement at the same time as being like kind of terrifyingly intelligent. And that was a really interesting enigma for me. But I mostly really like the fairy tale element to it, especially with season five. And I just, I just love, you know, how, you know how I'm a sucker for fairy tales and I, how I'm like, I oh, we know kind of things. I love those fairy tale figures. I like, and it's perfect for you. Yeah. And so I, I love the 11th doctor. I think Matt Smith just like acted the hell out of that character, even when he was written a little more distastefully in some senses. I think that he really brought this childlike wonder to the 11th doctor that really sold me on that character and really made me connect with him. And plus, I was kind of like, oh, I'm cool. I don't want to be, like, the one who loves David Tennant like everyone else does, because everyone is in love with David Tennant. Whatever. <laughs> we'll get into that. Willoughby. Willoughby. David Ten. <laughs> yes. Emphasis on the ten. Because, um, uh, so, like, okay, full disclosure, 
I skipped the first season and went straight on to nine or straight on to ten. Went back and watched uh, the first season after I was all caught up because I heard it got good and like people had told me to skip and you could watch it with David Tennant. And did then I, I went you back skip? and, and because, then I, wait, I don't think I told you. Did I? No, you didn't tell me. I other people Ugh, did. They see, were, Anya, I'm I'm absolved. I'm so offended by this. So like I, people were telling me like, oh, because it was just one season, you could skip it. And I was like, <sighs> okay. And I, I had no, I had no point of view. I had no. I was like, sure, I'll I'll just do what those people said. And then I watched. I went back and watched the. I eventually went watched like the same summer that I originally watched it i was like i should go back and watch this first season so i did and i liked it um but i but david Tennant was the first uh doctor i'd watched so he kind of like imprinted on me like that so i was like okay i like him the most um and he's got so much angst and i like that angst he's got so much like tragedy but also keeps a good spirit he gets a little bit dark and then at the end he doesn't want to go and it's sad heartbreaking um and like that's not to say i don't like nine or 11 like or 12 i like them all they're they're great um and like matt smith's run coincided with my college career and like when he when he left i graduated from college so there was like there's a lot of bundled emotions i really can't separate when if i watched the uh his last uh episode as like his like goodbye was like tied in tied in at the same time i was graduating i was like oh there's a lot of like emotions that cannot be separated there um but david Tennant was just sort of like he's this like really good actor and he's got all this like amazing you know like he could say a lot of words and make you make make you think that he he knows what he's talking about and very emotional actor and very good very good um but yeah so uh david Tennant, 10 nice so yeah when when they got together in the the uh was it the day of the doctor the day of the doctor, yeah. Yeah, when day, when ten and eleven were in the were in the same, that was pretty fun. All right, Anya, um, tell us who your favorite doctor is. All right, we're gonna go in descending order because oh. I think that ten is the definitive doctor of the like revival, but nine is my favorite. He always has been. He always will be. I just adore nine. He's the war torn doctor because he's the because eight ended. The eighth doctor ended with like the big time war. And so Nine is the first Doctor post that. And so it's very much like him sort of like rebuilding. And I just think Chris Racklesson has this like, this heart and warmth. Um, especially with the first season and Russell Davies like really exploring what his show is going to be about. And I think Nine and Rose are lovely. And Nine just like, I don't know, maybe it's because he's my first Doctor, but I'm just so fond of him and the arc that he goes through and that the way he treats Rose at the start versus how he treats her at the beginning. Full disclosure, I'm a very big Dr. Rose shipper. So like Rose is like almost as important to me as the doctor when it comes to this show. Um, So her ties with the doctor are like a big factor for me and like my doctors and enjoyment and stuff. So, Um, but yeah, nine just, he makes me laugh and, smile and i just really love nine i think christopher eccleston is wonderful as a doctor that's interesting to me because i always felt like he was a little rough around the edges and that's what i love about him yeah. like, that's why he's rough around the edges until you kind of get past those, those rough edges mm-hmm. and you see like the warm fuzzy teddy bear on the inside 
See, I wish we had more of that, though, because he was only there for a season, and it was so brief that we only saw a glimpse of that warm, fuzzy teddy bear. I wish we had, like, a whole season of him slowly, like, breaking down his walls. So I will say, I agree, actually. I think um, Nine's relationship with Rose is the best one, because I felt with Ten, she was just, like, needlessly pining a lot, and it was very annoying. It wasn't, Mm -hmm. not for her, but, like, the writing in general. But, like, her and Nine felt, like, equals more so than she felt with Ten. Yeah, and they, yeah. I mean, I will say, like, the fact that Rose ended up with Ten Two, and, like, they had their happy ending, like, I'm very happy. Like, that's all I wanted was for at least, like, a version of Rose to have her doctor. Um, so I'm very happy about that as a shipper. Um, I'm interested in you guys. I want to talk about what makes us love this show, because it's interesting. HT, you introduced it to Willoughby. I have tried introducing it to friends, and it has not gone well. How so? Because what I will have friends who get hung up on, like, the production quality. Oh, because it was filmed with a potato between 2005 and 2010? And it looks like it was smeared with Vaseline for half of it, yeah. too. Yeah, and, like, the, the production quality... It does not quality, look good. Like, the humor, the... just the oddness of it. Mm-hmm. It's very And British. so I've tried to introduce it to friends, um, especially back when it was, like, one of my big fandoms, and it never went over well. And it was, like, I was always, like, why can't my friends in real life like i had my lj friends who loved it but like why couldn't they see what i saw well, in the show I've the always... simple answer is that you don't have good friends <laughs> the answer well, is well, that it's a it's a niche product i feel like but yeah. it's not a niche product because it's one of the most popular shows still in britain especially well, as a children's show it's an island hd <laughs> it's niche for them it's it's, a, it's widespread for them it's Doctor niche who for the rest is of like the world. a pop culture icon in on par with like Paddington and Harry Potter in Britain, and that's what's so interesting to me. But it's the thing is, it's still ch- viewed as a children's show in uh, mm-hmm. Britain. That's Whereas the when thing it yeah when it her. crossed over to international success in the U.S., it was starting to try to take itself seriously and like present itself as more of a serious sci-fi show, but still a little goofy in the end. I actually found that when I introduce it to people, um, I find. It works best with people who are already fans of the sort of campy sci-fi series that doesn't take itself seriously. Um, kind of like Buffy fans, essentially. Like, if I have a Buffy fan um, friend, then I'll be like, you would love Doctor Who. And that's the success I've found. But I've also found success with kids, too. I've, like, watched a couple shows with, like, little cousins of mine, and they're just, like, they're just enraptured because Doctor Who episodes are so easy to dive into just without any context whatsoever. And they always tell a really good story of suspense and um, allow you to sort of use your imagination with these really low-budget uh, monsters and other creations. Uh, but they, the writing often is so good that you you don't really – you're more willing to sort of brush it off, gloss it off, you know, mm-hmm. brush it off. Just yeah. like, oh, yeah, this is fine. That's what part of the charm of the show is. So with Willoughby, you know, because I know he he knew, I knew he liked Buffy. Maybe I introduced it to you later. I can't remember. I think I no, introduced you okay, to the same I didn't time. watch Buffy until after Doctor Who. Okay. Well, I don't know. I just found that people who liked sort of the same things I liked, I would be like, yeah. he would like Doctor Who. <laughs> what, what, what about you, Willoughby? Uh, what was the question? Well, I guess just um, diving into, like, why we like it and what are the aspects that we love about it. Like, if people, like, like, if we could talk to someone who wasn't sure about it, like, what would you tell them you love about this show? Like, why you're a big fan? Do you like time travel? Do you like space? Well, buddy, I got a show for you, basically. Um, But also, like, I would say, like, if you like 
people coming together from like and becoming like a family um and if you like like long running arcs and good television like good good singular episodes of television there as well as like uh they always do the like uh the season finale has always been like once something that's been leading the entire show but like each episode has been its own contained story which is pretty like which instead of it being like an 80 hour movie or something you know um and i like that it's just it's it's good fun there's you know i like i like the the time travel aspects of it the saving the universe sort of deal that's always been fun like a group of friends coming together to save the world it's kind of like my shit uh so like the episode uh one of the final episodes of david Tennant's run journey's end when they're like trapped on the dalek ship man none of this is making any sense to me um <laughs> and they're trapped on the dalek ship and he has to get his clone which is which was come from his like, original hand that he ended up regenerating a new one and then, that, yeah. and then all his all his friends from across the the four the three series that he had been the doctor came back and helped him yeah save the day and like bring the world back to normal and like like bring it back to its position on planet earth it like right. or in the, the earth solar system. disappeared or something right like, they they moved the like, planet they, yeah all the planets moved and because they were generating like this massive like uh universe killer thing and then and so they took the tardis and they dragged the earth back to where it's supposed to be and they did that with the power of friendship because all like all control panels on the TARDIS had to be used by someone else. He couldn't be the only person to do it. And so, like, you had... Everybody had a place and it was so... Like, the culmination of, like, four seasons of work. And it was so cool and seeing everybody work together. I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it. Yeah, I Uh, think that's the the core of it. Like, what you said before with, like, the power of friendship. Like, that's kind of what Doctor Who is about. It's a sci-fi show, but it's really a show about, like, how love can save the day essentially it's an emotionally driven sci-fi show where plot really doesn't matter because like as you were explaining the plot will be like man this sounds even more convoluted to like the people who don't know this show and like the plot really doesn't matter that's why it can it can just like they can write out they can repeat the same plots often and like do similar episodes but it's always something a little bit different um because like it it is driven by this universal themes of love and everything. But at the same time, uh, because it's a sci-fi show about time traveling and space, they can really like test the limits of imagination. Like they can do set a sh- an episode wherever they want. Like one episode, you could be in Cardiff, Wales, which is often what they, where they were for a lot of the seasons. Uh, or you could be in a, a planet where there are no people. You can be in, in a, in Viking time. You can be in, you can meet like Shakespeare, or you can meet Van Gogh, which is why Legends of Tomorrow is the perfect show for people who don't want to deal with Stephen Moffat's bullshit. <sighs> I should watch Legends Agreed. of Tomorrow. Agreed. Uh, Le- Legends of Tomorrow is like Russell T Davies' Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. It's even got Arthur Darville for a little who bit. Played what's his who's name? who's pretty thankless. He's not that important. Rip is not. Well, yeah, I mean, the first season he was pretty big in it, but, like, he, yeah, his role diminished over time. But that's the Doctor Who connection, is that. Plus, well, they're, I mean, in, yeah, it's about they're the in a space time ship. And friendship. Yeah. yeah. And it's so good. Yeah, I completely agree with you guys. Man, you talking about the season four finale makes me think about how much I love the season three finale. Like, I love the Master. Mm-hmm. Like, 
that finale still gets me because the master's just so evil and i just love seeing ten and martha i love take martha. him down i will martha, defend martha oh my god so i was gonna say one of the things i love about this you've already touched on the friendship and the found families and that's perfect but man i love the women of the show like Rose is my girl forever, but Martha and Donna and Amy, and I haven't watched 12 yet, but I've heard great things about 12 and Clara. And I just, like, I love the women, and I love the Doctor's companions. Um, even the w- people who aren't women, like Jack Harkness and Wilf. Is that, is that Donna's grandpa? It was... Oh, yeah. Oh. Wilf, yeah. Wilfred. Wilfred, yeah. Wilfred, yeah, and he's, like, so happy, and he loves the Doctor so much, and it's adorable. It's Christmas. Um, but, like, the women are so great. They're just, I love that they each have their own strengths and weaknesses, and I feel like they're very fleshed out. What you were saying about Rose HD is interesting, because I actually feel that way about Martha. I think that, for me, Rose is, like, always great, but the Doctor returns her feelings, so it's, like, just two people in love on adventures together. I always felt Martha got the short end of the stick because they made her very, like, pining for Ten, mm-hmm. even though Ten was, like, still in love with Rose and was well, never going to be in love with Martha. Rose. <laughs> but Martha is still like a badass and even though she gets the sword under the stick with 10 even though like 10 can be pretty rude to her Martha like is always the hero like she's so badass I love Martha and she doesn't put up with any bullshit and it's wonderful and then Donna's just perfect Donna is Donna. perfect Donna and 10's chemistry in the report oh is God. just the funniest thing just because they're hilarious um, together David Tennant and um, Catherine Tate are friends in real life and they have such a funny just like back and forth that uh, that season the fourth season with, with uh, Ten and Donna is like one of my favorite it's seasons so great Hill. side note everyone should watch David Tennant and Catherine Tate in Much Ado About Nothing where they play Beatrice and uh, Benedict and they're so good together I've always wanted to watch that it's really good. I can't find it anywhere streaming. That makes me sad. You should try and find it somewhere. Maybe there's keep, a bootleg. Keep going, because it's very good. So, um, if you guys, if we loved Doctor Who so much, uh, why did we stop watching it? I want to ask you guys why you personally stopped uh, watching it, or why you kind of fell, oh, fell off of watching Doctor Who. Anya, I want to hear your experience first. Okay. Yeah, because you dropped off before any of us. Because mm-hmm. I think yep. by the time we met you, you had stopped watching. Maybe, yeah. In I stopped like halfway through 11. Okay. Like the yeah. 11th Doctor, not the 11th season. No, no, yeah. Um, and uh, two simple words for why I stopped. Stephen Moffat. Oh, there it is. So for me, as Stephen Moffat took over, I I was not thrilled. Um... But I wanted to give it a chance. <clears throat> and the thing is, for me, is that everything HT that you said about Eleven and why you love him in the fairy tale aspect, I completely agree with. Except in the way Stephen Moffat executed it. I thought there was so much more potential there, but for me, Stephen Moffat, there are two big issues. One, he's a misogynist. I've, I have no time for that. I have no... No time for him and his sad women and clingy women and the way he talks about women in real life. I I have no time for it. And also his self-importance as a writer. He thinks he is like God's gift to Doctor Who. Yeah. 
Because he was a fan as a child. <sighs> and I... As the 11th Doctor kept going, I kept realizing how cold he was, and it wasn't Matt Smith, and it wasn't what I think they were trying to do, but Matt, but Stephen Moffat just made him such a cold character for me. His plots became so convoluted. Yeah. When he did the Day of the Doctor, was that the 50th anniversary, or the... Well, it was, like, part of, like, a long, like, the the whole year was, like, the, like, a, like yeah. three specials. It was, like, a 50th the... anniversary special, Yeah. Yeah, I remember I had stopped watching the show, but I came back for that because I was like, yay, celebration. And I remember watching that and being like, that episode was no fun. Like, Stephen Moffat had no fun with that episode. He just wanted to have a big red button. Oh, yeah, because there was literally a, a big red there button. There was literally a big red button because he thinks his plots are so important and he thinks that he is so gifted that he didn't celebrate Doctor Who. And so I kind of just lost the heart of the show when Stephen Moffat took over and I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I wasn't enjoying it anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, I've heard really good things about Peter Capaldi. So I kind of want to go back and watch his stuff, even though it's still Stephen Moffat. Um, But he's no longer running the show. So win for us all. So it's possible. Maybe I'll go back to Dr. Who. Yeah. You could, you could just kind of, you know, take a couple days and, Bins through the what you can what would consider the worst of Doctor Who, and then you come out the other end and you're good. And then I get my very first female Doctor, which I'm sure we'll talk about her in a little bit. Oh, I'm so but excited! Same. Um. So yeah. So that's why I stopped. Is it wasn't fun anymore. Yeah, that's kind of the reason that I stopped too. But it took uh Peter Capaldi the the it took the combination of uh, Moffat and Capaldi who admittedly is like a really great actor but it was still kind of in his beginnings and they're trying to flesh out who he was a, as a doctor and the interesting thing is I think the complaints that you have about like how they wrote 11 is the how I felt about the 12th doctor played by Peter Capaldi I felt like mm-hmm. he was just so cold and uncaring about humanity I think what really made me what really sold me for Eleventh uh, Doctor was in his first episode when he faces off against I can't remember what the alien was it was like a giant eyeball and he says <laughs> like oh you know hu- look at humanity look how like horrible they are but look how great they are this planet is protected and you can tell he really cares about humanity and he cares about them as cold as he might be he still has all these wonderful feelings about humanity and he really believes in them in the end and I felt like with Capaldi with the Twelfth Doctor. He didn't care about them at all. It always took the urging of his of his companions, um, Clara especially, to like humanize him and be like, "Oh yeah, these people, you have to save them." And he's like, "Fine, whatever." But like Eleventh Doctor, he never really needed urging. I felt like I felt like he always had good intentions and he was always he cared in the begin in the end. Like oh, so many of my favorite quotes from Doctor Who came from like the Eleventh Doctor, and he said, like in the Christmas special where he's like, "Oh." no one important i've never met anyone oh in thousands of years of time travel i've never met anyone who's not important before and it, it just really strikes me that like the 11th doctor especially really did care about people and i never felt that carryover with the 12th doctor which i felt like they're trying to set him apart and be like this cranky old man but he was just too cold and too I don't know, insensitive for me. And that's why I started just kind of dropping off. And, uh, yeah, they had a really bad uh, arc with, like, Clara and her boyfriend, Danny, that I was just like, man, they're... Yeah, that was rough. That was... It was pretty tragic. And, like, the way they handled that was just not really for me. So, 
that's why I ended up dropping off of Doctor Who. But you're right. And it was kind of like a long time coming because there were some episodes of Matt Smith's later um, run as Eleven that re- that kind of put me off. Because I think from, in several episodes, Stephen Moffat literally had that big red button in like as a conclusion. And I was just like, really? Again? It's like, I, yeah. I had like more benefit <clears throat> of the doubt for him. And I was like, okay, maybe like I love these characters enough. I'm going to keep going through. And I did really love Eleven and all of his companions. Um, even like I liked I loved Amy Pond I always defended her because I really hate how when people just like you know uh, uh, bashed Amy's on wonderful. her she's such a great character and uh, I liked Clara a lot too I liked her and Eleven's report because they I really cast um, uh, what's her name Jenny Jenna Louise Jenna, Coleman Jenna Louise Coleman because like they're like oh yeah she can speak a mile a minute like at the same pace as like Matt Smith and that was really fun just to hear them like squabbling back and forth at like rapid fire dialogue yeah you, so, you really needed the subtitles on for that yeah it was pretty funny so I, I cared about the characters enough to like keep through even the worst of Matt Smith's later runs when Stephen Moffat really got big for his britches but by the time Peter Capaldi came around I was just like eh I think I'm done now Willoughby, I know um, we want to. I want to hear why you left, but I just want to ask real quick: Had you watched other Stephen Moffat stuff? HD. I watched. I watched Sherlock, and I think that was the only one. And I remember. I feel like that also compounded, like my leaving the show because of how much I didn't like Sherlock. Because, like, I remember when he had his episode with Irene Adler, and I remember just how misogynistic it was, and like that compounded with my feeling about Doctor Who. Like, I just could not stand Stephen Moffat anymore. Like, the way he queer-baited, the way he treated women. And I think that, I think Sherlock, like, I feel like I almost took some of those negative feelings from Sherlock and also put them on Doctor Who, and it was just this, like, whole nebulous Stephen Moffat anti-negative feelings. Yeah. And it all just kind of exploded at once. Yeah. I mean, I still don't... I dislike Moffat too but not as much as you Anya because I still like have I think some of like the best episodes of Doctor Who were penned by him but uh, but not the when best, he was showrunner exactly, but not the under best the best showrunner episode was penned by him because the Doctor Dances mm-hmm. oh, is like the one. best episode yeah. from, for nine that was Stephen Moffat but then I also hate his episode for ten like, in season two the one like with Marie Antoinette uh, oh, with, uh, Madame, oh, Madame de Pompadour but Papa Noir said Marie Antoinette. Yeah, his proto Amy Pond. Yeah. Um, I hated that. And proto River Song. Yes. Oh, boy. <laughs> he really yeah, likes that trope. He's a he, lot of tropes. Yeah, his tropes with women, especially, are like, mm-hmm. yeah. oh, okay. The doctor. Yeah, so I have the same problems with Moffat as him. you. I really dislike how he treats his female characters, and I, like, I dislike how he has a really misogynist and really sort of self assured or self, um, just cocky attitude about his own writing. So uh, I was glad to see him go. And I hope that Doctor Who will sort of return to what I loved, even under his run, when he was, he still was kind of reined back by like expectations for the show. So uh, I think, yeah, I, I basically like quit for the same reasons as you, but I just like sticked a lot around for a lot longer. <laughs> Willoughby, yeah. what about you? It was like the batteries had run out, but the Game Boy was still running. um the reason i quit was because the plot was just getting way too convoluted like i i liked so like all your criticisms of stephen moffat are completely founded like i hate 
everything he thinks he thinks he is and like his treatment of women is exceptionally terrible um and his like oh all every woman who meets the doctor is immediately in love with the doctor and like and there's like it's just like oh dude you're projecting hard right now like like you think you're brilliant so you make your your main character brilliant and you think that all the women want to be with this guy it's there's so much to unpack there he's got a lot of like stuff going on with himself i think um but the reason i really fell off of doctor who even because i had made it to the 12th doctor i had made it like a whole season in and it was i didn't really have access to watching it um or like i forgot that it was airing because I, because nobody else I knew on online was watching it anymore, so I didn't see like promotional material for it, and so I was like, okay, oh, I guess this season ten is happening. Oops, I forgot to watch season ten. Oops, I forgot to watch season eleven, and now, like, and all that. So like, just time, ironically, and also, the plots were getting way too convoluted to, for me to care about it. Cause like, I really, I wanted like a good, simple save the world story. And he, what Stephen Moffat was getting, giving me was Peter Capaldi taking a thousand years to break through a wall. Was that a plot? Yeah, I think so. Actually, that's really yeah, interesting because to get to, to get to the, to get to uh, Gallifrey. Yeah. He had to like break through something that it took him a thousand years to do it. Okay. I don't think I got to that episode. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Was, there's so much happening. It was like, I don't care. Just give me some good plot of I, like the I, doctor saving the world with his friends. Just I think that's that. interesting because that started happening. The plots are getting more convoluted as the show started reaching more international success and was trying to present itself as a more serious sci-fi show. Yeah. And yeah. it wasn't as just like campy and silly and goofy as it used to be. Not as like self-aware that it was a campy, silly sci-fi show. It was starting to become too self uh, just like important. too important, yes, yeah, too self-important, and I think that's was kind of the downfall for that series, as well as the reason that a lot of us kind of left uh, Stephen Moffat as well too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like his plots were the ones that were so always convoluted because he always did like the big season premieres, which led into the season finales. But like the one-off episodes in his run, which were not penned by him, were always fun. Like. I can't name names, but I, I, but like, you know, like there were like little episodes. Like I like the episode in season seven with when the doctor couldn't leave earth. So he was like stuck. Oh, that was was so fun. For like a year, he was living with Rory and Amy and it has like the doc as like the new roommate. And it was just so fun. And it was also like a good, like almost like last hurrah before the, their, their final episode was just like what, Amy and Rory meant to the Doctor, and what this with what this trio of characters meant to the fans, because a lot of people also picked up the show straight straight with the Eleventh Doctor, and so like Amy and Rory were the first companions, and they were the first companions for these people to leave. So like giving them one last hurrah, of like oh yeah, this this was great. See you guys later. Was always like that was a, a pretty good episode and so like there were good singular episodes but i feel like the overall plots to these seasons were getting so convoluted and so up his own ass to steven's mm-hmm. moffat that i was just like i'm done yeah but i'm excited yeah, i remember the van gogh episode was like so wonderful oh that was phenomenal and then you remember it was written by richard curtis and you're like oh 
It was. Why. Oh, I didn't Richard know that. Curtis. Yeah, Richard Curtis wrote that episode, and it's like, that makes a lot of sense. Man, that was Which a... Richard Curtis? Uh, he is a famous British writer, usually of rom-coms. He did, like, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Love Actually. Oh, I think he guy. did About a Boy. He did About Time. High um, Fidelity. Yeah. Mm. Richard Curtis is just wonderful. I didn't know Richard Curtis wrote that. No wonder it's such a good episode. Right? Man, Very melancholic. Oh, the power, the emotional, like gut punch at the end oh not even gut punch it was just like a cathartic moment wait so good speaking of famous british authors who have written for doctor who anya have you watched the neil gaiman penned episodes i have the doctor i have what have you thought of those i mean i love them because it's neil gaiman and because they they were straight in the middle of stephen moffat episodes oh i know oh i know (laughs) Neil Gaiman wrote them, and my my love for Neil Gaiman trumps my hate for Stephen Moffat. And I liked, I really loved his episode with the TARDIS, because it was about time that they explored the relationship between the Doctor and the TARDIS. So, I'm a fan of Neil Gaiman's episodes, clearly. So, what do you think um, it will take for us to, for you guys, to go back to being a Doctor Who fan? And do you think you'll be the same level of Doctor Who fan that you were before? Um, I, for me, it'll take a couple weekends to get caught up and then watch this, the, the new show with Jodie Whittaker is her name. Uh, so like if we've been kind of like beating around the bush here, but like the, the 13th doctor is a woman and for the first time like ever, um, which is very exciting and which is also like great because Stephen Moffat like once said that, like, I think that a woman would never play doctor, the doctor, or like he was very like. I don't know. He said something about like not not during his run or whatever, like something weird, and people got mad at him. Um, it was just like dismissing the the idea of a female doctor, and now they have one, and I'm very excited to see. And I'll like I'll check out like the reviews. I'll like see what, what people are saying, like fans and stuff. Everyone seems really excited. There seems to be like a new energy, um, new showrunner, new doctor, new composer. Um, Murray Gold isn't doing the, the 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 music anymore, which is very interesting because he's been doing it since 2005. Um, so I'm I'll, I'm I'm a little hesitant to so like I just want to see what people say about it, and then if it's good, I'll probably catch up. But if people are like this is still terrible drivel, I'll be like oh damn. But um, yeah, I'm excited. Um, I probably won't be as I, I was I was never a super fan. But I'll probably be casual, a casual fan. I'll be a casual. Um, I'll be a normie um, and just like watch it when it airs and be like, oh, cool. That was a good episode of Doctor Who. Time to go do something else. <laughs> See, I Fair think enough. that I might become uh, another a mega fan of Doctor Who again just because watching Jodie Whittaker's panel at Comic-Con, I started getting emotional. I was like beginning, beginning to tear up as she was talking about how she, how excited she was to take on the role of the Doctor as the first female Doctor since the show's inception. And it's it was a momentous occasion, but also she seemed so just overjoyed to be part of this, uh, this character again. But I was starting to feel her joy, and I was getting, yeah, I was emotional. And I, I think I felt that feeling that I first had when I started watching Doctor Who just through her Comic-Con panel. So I'm wildly excited to see her take on the role um, in the 12th season. 11th season? 12th season. 12th season, 13 Doctors. Yeah, 12th season, 13 Doctors. Yes. So I I can't wait. And I'm 
I what one thing I like about Doctor Who is that it has this inherent ability to just basically reboot itself whenever it wants. So I feel like maybe even BBC, uh, the network that it's that runs it currently, and uh, the show, the people behind it have realized that's sort of gone downward in popularity and needs like a new boost. And I think that this could be like a revitalizing moment for Doctor Who. I mean, I'm just like really hopeful based on like a small, short 30 second teaser, but I felt that again. And um, I'm ready to be swept away by Doctor Who again and see a new Doctor who's just excited to be the Doctor and just wants people to be your friend and has a sonic screwdriver that looks like Sailor Sailor Moon's little makeup pen. It's pink. I know it's like on the nose because she's a woman, but also it's just so cute. (laughs) It is, it is. I'm with UHD. I'm not sure if I will ever quite reach the levels that I was in like high school and college, but I, I'm excited. I mean, I was excited back in 2016 when Stephen Moffat announced he'd be stepping down and they were going to replace him with Chris Chibnall, who is one of my favorite Doctor Who writers. He wrote Father's Day in season one with Nine and Rose, which I love that episode. Um, And so I was excited by that choice. Um, but I still never caught up with Peter Capaldi season. Um, I might, because I've heard good things about him. But I will definitely be checking out Dodie Whitaker. And the fact that it's a female doctor and we have a new showrunner. I'm I'm just excited to see that hopefully they're getting back to the heart of this show. Um, I definitely want to check it out because I I really do miss it. I miss those adventures. Yeah, I miss... I miss that simple, like, love can save the day type of sci-fi story. It's, you Agreed. Know, it's, I think it's what we need in a time like this. Yeah. Back to the optimistic, campy Doctor Who that we first fell in love with, because it has that that nice core element that we've been talking about so frequently lately. And I'm It hoping, does. Yeah. It does. That's why you should also watch Legends, HT. I know. I need to watch Legends. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. Uh, so... Do you guys have anything else you want to talk about with Doctor Who before we go to our uh, sponsored message? I think I'm good. All right. I think that's a good way to wrap up our discussion of Doctor Who. Doctor Who Season 12 returns to the BBC, to BBC and BBC America this fall. Uh, there's no release date yet, but stay tuned. Uh, so let's move on to our, fir- our second sponsored message of the day. The Millennial Falcon is brought to you by Space. It's everywhere. All right. And let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Right. Willby, why don't you start us off this week? What do you really like? Well, in relation to that very handsomely voiced ad we just had, I've been watching The Expanse. Uh, which is sci-fi and now Amazon Prime's TV show based on a series of novels about what the solar system would look like in 200 years where they've co- where humans have colonized not only Mars but also several asteroid asteroids on the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter um, uh, called the the series uh, asteroid belt the series asteroid station um so the tv show is called the expanse uh, i don't know who the showrunner is or who it's written by because i don't think it's anybody famous um which is un- which is a bummer for me because i haven't prepared that but um the show um is basically like 
it's it scratches the itch of Battlestar Galactica, the new the new show, as well as just like good old fashioned like political space stuff that's happening. So like um, a little bit of Firefly too, because there's like oppressive government. Well, not really oppressive, but like shadow governments that are like kind of a little uh, a little sketchy, and the Earth and Mars are on the brink of war. At the at the moment that I'm watching it, I'm in the middle of season two, or at the beginning of season two, um, and so like Earth is like this place for the, where where all the rich people live, and it's governed by the United Nations as like a like a true superpower, um, got world government, and then Mars is the uh, is like a colony that um, did its own revolutionary war thing and became became its own republic called the Mar the Martian. Cong- the Mar the Martian Congressional Republic, um, and so like there and there's these like there's space navies and they fight each other. There's there Earth and Mars are like in a cold war right now, and there's also like the asteroid belt is where all like um, where like more of the poor people who have like just left Earth and Mars to go live out there, and um, they're like but they're also like. Are, like owned by earth like the the asteroid belt so it's this like whole big like new political land grab where there's all these new machinations with humans and space and it's really fascinating because it's like political powers but across the whole solar system which is so much interestingly different than what we've been experiencing which is like well what happens when humans colonize other planets and they're not Earthlings anymore. They're Martians, or they're they're Belters, as they're called, because they live on an asteroid belt. And like in lower gravity, the the series uh, humans who have been growing, who like for a couple generations now have been growing differently. They're taller and leaner because their bones aren't like because of lower gravity. So they're like becoming different humans, and they have their own language, their own accents, uh, their own culture. And like Mars is a very militaristic like a uh, culture like basically like the god of mars and aries and whatnot they're very military and then earth is very like ho ho rich people um <laughs> and it's so the the show this is a, a roundabout way of talking about the show but it centers around this one crew of this one spaceship that is trying to like uncover conspiracy uh in space and but also like fight for their survival and like also stop a war between earth and mars and so like it's very interesting to watch and i really like it it's very fascinating uh anya i think you would you might like it because i know you really liked battlestar galactica yeah so there's a lot of like there's there's fun like a found family situation going on with the crew because they're like they're they were part of a larger crew Mm-hmm. Um and and they're like they had to split off from the other crew and so like they're like on their own and they're becoming a family and whatnot. Um Aww. and they're they're like it's a combination of like people from Mars, Earth, and the belt. So it's like, oh fun. And uh Thomas the actor Thomas Jane plays like a, a private eye on the belt who's like trying to who's like in his own noir story and it the noir story uh coalesces with the the uh, the spaceship crew story and it's like very interesting how like he's like an old noir or like detective which ht i think you might get a kick out of because he's like very much a noir detective he's a gumshoe um 
And so yeah, hard boiled. Like, yeah, he's a hard boiled detective. It's very interesting. Uh, I think you guys would like it. You should check it out at least the first episode and see what you think. Because the first episode's a really good strong pilot because it tells you everything you need to know about the show. The um, only thing I've heard about the Expanse is that it has a really um, fervent fan following. Like the fans mm-hmm. are really loyal. It, they, and they got it, it was, saved for a new season, I think, because it got yeah, canceled by Sci-Fi. It was canceled by Sci-Fi, and Amazon Prime picked it up, which is where the exclusive streaming rights are already. Ooh, okay. So if you if you want to watch it on Amazon Prime, the first two seasons are there, and the third season will most likely eventually get to Prime pretty soon because it just ended a couple months ago. So um, yeah, nice. I will have to check it out. It sounds interesting. Yeah. yeah. All right, Anya, what is your really like this week? So, I finally saw HT's number one movie of 2018 so far. Paddington 2? You Were Never Really Here. Ah! By Lynn Ramsey. So, Paddington 2? Um, yes, Paddington 2. Which I, I actually did rewatch that earlier this week because we pre-gamed Christopher Robin oh, with Paddington. Shot chaser. Um, but, yeah, so I... Um, <clears throat> ever since HT, ever since you published your list of like your top ten films of 2018 so far, I was like, "All right, self, you gotta like kick it into high gear." Um, I have been I've been watching a lot of movies this year, more than I usually do. Um, <clears throat> but I need I wanted to start like focusing on movies that were coming out this year, so that by award season, by the end of the year, I would have like a very full picture of what this year's movies had been and so i went through and i made a list of all the movies that i need to see before the year ends including past movies i missed and upcoming movies and you were never really here was one that i wanted to see and just never got around to and then i was finally like i just need to watch it i need to so i watched it last night and i loved it it was fantastic um it was beautifully shot it was so raw and challenging um and it even had a little bit of adoption in it and we all know how i feel about adoption you and your found families me and my found families um but it was i love that it was such an unflinching movie like lynn ramsey was never afraid to kind of throw the audience in the deep end um and yet it also wasn't gratuitous. I mean, when I was watching some of the violence in that film, I was like, this is so clearly directed by, like, a skilled and talented woman. Like, you can tell. Yeah. I always, I kind of think of it as, like, a f- sort of female take on Taxi Driver just because yeah. it doesn't glorify that sort of t- toxic masculine thinking that really drives that kind of soul lone wolf revenge or, like, vent revenge person you know it's kind of like yeah it's the aftermath of that and that i'm just gonna like i don't want to like commandeer your your um your talk but like i like how all the action and like the the brutality is not shown on screen it's like or it's like filtered in some way it's like the it shows before and then the after and you kind of have to fill in the gaps with your Mm -hmm. own mind and even when even when you do see it like the security camera footage scene like, again, like, you see some of the violence, but it's, like, from a distance. And it's it's just done so well. And Joaquin Phoenix is fantastic. I mean, I love him as an actor. Um, and he is so good in this movie. And I like the kind of challenge of what 
how the audience feels about Joe as a character. Um, but I just thought it was tremendous. So oh. I'm glad that I finally saw it. I'm glad you liked it, Anya. I knew you'd like that one, HD. Yeah. Oh. All right. All right. <laughs> Sorry. I'm excited because Anya I saw this I need to movie. watch it. It's really good. It's so good. Um, so uh, my, my really like this week is Christopher Robin. Speaking of. Yes. Shot chasers. What a, what a 180 degrees. Yeah. But actually, not quite, because it's surprisingly melancholy and almost wistful and depressing. T- like, <laughs> <laughs> um, Just what you want your Winnie the Pooh movie but to be. beautiful uh, sort of continuation of one of our most beloved animated characters or cartoon characters uh, that we grew up with. And it's... It, in the line of hook and that it shows a grown-up Christopher Robin and him trying to, and him trying to um, reevaluate his adulthood and his life and uh, grasp and return to his childness childhood. I can't speak today. I'm sorry. Yeah, we <laughs> should say this isn't a sequel to the Goodbye Christopher Robin starring Donald Gleason that came out earlier last year. Yeah. It is, is not, but they are good companion pieces. I will say like, I really loved Goodbye Christopher Robin. This is an in-universe version yes. of this is Christopher, Christopher Robin, Robin as a real person. Yes. Whereas Pooh and character Pooh and Co are real. Yes. It has a yes. sort of strain of magical realism that you see in Paddington in which Pooh, Tigger and Eeyore and all the rest of the Hundred Acre Wood can go into the real world and speak and it shocks many a people. I guess it doesn't take it all the way to magical realism like Paddington where there's just like a bear and everyone's just... <laughs> everyone's cool with everyone's it. Everyone's cool with it. it. Yeah. It's tried as an, an adult human. <laughs> Sent to jail. I'm never Willie getting over still that. very upset by that. <laughs> I'm still... It's I magical realism, it. Willoughby. He went to human jail. It's not supposed to make total sense. He went to human jail! <laughs> Anyways, I I did really enjoy Christopher Robin because it had that really interesting sort of happy medium of melancholy and whimsy that I I felt like might have – it sometimes struggled to really balance that tone. But I think in the end it brought brought me to tears and it really wrenched my heart in a way that I think – was really successful in bringing this nostalgic piece uh, of property back to us without being a retread of anything that we loved as kids. I think that's a successful sort of nostalgia piece in the end. So I love Christopher Robin. I love the way it made me feel. Even when it got weirdly tragic at the beginning, I... I know. I was like, what's going on? There's a war? (laughs) Not to spoil anything, Willoughby, but it's a great film. Are you going to spoil World War II for me? <laughs> hey, uh, Willoughby, in uh, the 1940s, um, this big war happened. It's called World War II. A lot of countries were involved. Does anybody was... else know about this? Um, uh, it's kind of it's kind of on the down low. Where was I? I wasn't born That's yet. a good question. Where were you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love Christopher Robin. <laughs> Agreed. It was so wonderful, HT. I, I I just was clutching my face the whole time. Like, literally any time any of the 100 Acre Woo cast, like, spoke, I was, like, a mess. It's Presh. Who's your favorite? Eeyore, of course. Oh, right. You're an Eeyore person. Willoughby's... A- For the record, HT's an Eeyore person. Willoughby's a Pooh person. And I am a Tigger person. 
which is like a perfect match for all wait, our personalities. Wait. Anya, do you realize what you just said? <laughs> you called me a poo person. I did. I called you a poo person. <laughs> you come to Millennial Falcon for all the good jokes, guys. Yeah, we have great comedy here. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Guys, we can do this. We can end this episode. <laughs> Okay, so if you guys have any thoughts about Doctor Who, The Expanse, Christopher Robin, you were never really here, or poo people, (laughs) please come chat with us. We especially want your thoughts on poo people. (laughs) I'm killing Willoughby. Willoughby, where can they come find us to talk about poo people? (laughs) You can find us on Facebook slash poo people just kidding uh millennial falcon on facebook uh at falcon podcast on twitter our blog is millennial falcon podcast.wordpress.com slash poo people uh our soundcloud you can listen to us there we're also on itunes and google play where you can rate review and subscribe to poo people there um and where can they find you guys on the internet you can find me at htranbui on twitter you can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And you can find me at Poo People on Twitter. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs>